Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, I'm asking that you forgive us of our sins and iniquities and shortcomings and transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. I'm grateful for this time, Lord, that you've given me with my sister, that we get to be in your word, that we get to learn of your truth, Lord, that we get to discover you in new ways that we might be able to share those revelations with others. Lord, I pray that you just take us through, Lord, to the next stage of our lives. I pray that you keep us moving. I pray that we not stay in the wilderness or in Egypt, but that we head toward the promise. And, Lord, I'm just praying that we keep our eyes focused on you. I'm praying that no flesh be glorified. I'm praying that no man's heart be heard, Lord. Only what you want to come out tonight, Lord, let it be done. Let your spirit be at work. Let your spirit of teaching be upon us. And I pray, Lord, that these videos go viral. I pray that people receive your truth. I pray that we can ask for such things, Lord, for we have not offended you. So show us the error in our ways. Show us what we lack. Show us what we're doing that may hinder us from having the prayers that we desire. Lord, I just pray that you give us hearts after you, that we may obey what you want us to, that we may be considered one day good and faithful servants. So, Lord, just search us out. Just search us deep. Just dig, Lord, into the places, Lord, where you know that you are present and uproot them so that people may understand the truth in ministry, that they may understand the truth in giving your testimony, that they may understand the value at laying our lives down to serve you, that other people might come in. I pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, every spirit of contention, every spirit of confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, hatred, every spirit of fear, doubt, and unbelief, Every spirit that is against you, Lord Jesus, has got to fall, be cast down, trodden down, and thrown out. Lord, Lord, and I pray that you bless this ministry. I pray that it grows. I pray that others within the ministry will distribute their gifts, Lord, that other people may learn and might see. For you are the King of kings. You are the Lord of lords. You are faithful, just, and true. And you are worthy of all praises. I pray, Lord, that these things be done for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so tonight's study is going to be called True Ministry Breaks Your Heart. True Ministry Breaks Your Heart. Now, the reason why I think the Lord put me on this path to talk about this tonight is because I think that people have really gotten into a place of misunderstanding what ministry is. You know, ministry is service. And the Bible mentions this many times and how when Jesus said, let the chiefest of you become a servant, that he may wash his disciples' feet, that he may, you know, put himself out there. You know, he said, let this mind be in you that is of Christ, that is not of men. 
you know, not of the world. So Jesus came as a servant. Jesus came to do everything that his father told him to do. And like I said, no matter what it cost him, he was faithful to the call of God. Mm -hmm. Now, can we look at ministries today and compare ourselves to them? Can we really see where this selflessness is in the midst? And I would have to say, from my perspective, no. It's in little small groups and pieces. But, you know, you got pastors today that will even become ministers just for fortune and fame, mm -hmm. just to be recognized, just to be known as the God who knows. You know, and that's not what this is about. This is truly about being a shepherd, truly about being a servant that other people may receive the truth, that others may go. So it's a totally selfish life. If you look at an apostle, he builds churches. That's what apostles do. They build churches. So what do they do? They, um, they govern. Okay, so government and church, I mean, even if you're a pastor or you're in that place of just being a junior pastor or whatever they call them, minister, you know that it's going to take more time out of you to do what God says and to be faithful to the call than it will you be enjoying your own life and doing what you want. Mm -hmm. You know, if you look at evangelists, they gather. Gathering takes time. Gathering takes a willingness to go out and do what God says that souls may be one in. If you look at prophets, prophets guide. So they always have to have their minds in a place where they can receive instruction from the word of the Lord to keep themselves in that place to be vessels fit unto good works, to hear God's voice and to distribute the word to people. Amen. One of the most dangerous jobs in the Old Testament was being a prophet. And none of them wanted to be one, but God chose them to do what he called them to do. So that's important. Okay, if you look at pastors, pastors guard. They protect the church. They're a type of shepherd of the church. It's a stationary position where you take care of the flock. You make sure that they're fed. You keep outside interferences from coming in. And you yourself have to be right with the Lord so that you can distribute those right fruit that God gives that you may see growth in your congregation. And lastly, when you get to teachers, they ground. Do you understand how much service it takes to ground people in the word, that they remember it, that they can take it home with them, that they can use it and do what God tells them to do with it? Man, that takes time. So if all these people jumping up, Johnny come lately out of nowhere preaching the gospel, don't even understand what this is about, you're kidding yourself. The only purpose of ministry is to mature you that you may have a heart after Jesus. The ministry will break your heart and give you one after Christ so you can fulfill the mission that God calls you to do. Amen. That is the most important thing that God wants for his people. Right. Okay, so let's go to Ephesians 4 real quick and let's start at verse 1. We're going to begin at Ephesians 4 and we're going to look at this and we're going to really get through tonight what true ministry is. It is no easy task. And I think why God did what he did today is because that call may be for someone else. And I could be blocking the way of what he's trying to do 
to add responsibility to the ministry. Amen. You know, we got to be faithful to what God calls us to do. All right, so this is Ephesians 4. Let's look at verse 1. He says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called. Now, if this ain't confirmation for you, all I want to say is, you guys may not know what I'm talking about in this, but praise the Lord that he just gave me this word. I didn't even expect to see this. But see, another part of ministry is going where you were called. Because though you may know the Bible, though you may have the Holy Spirit, you can also find yourself in places where you become a fish out of water if you don't go to where you were called. You find yourself kicking against the pricks because God didn't place you to that part of ministry. And that's why you have these offices so that everyone can be used where God sends them that they may be productive. That's right. So it says in verse 2, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love. Mm -hmm. Now, anybody involved in ministry, you know that this is exactly what you experience if you're a true minister of Christ. Lowliness, how many times you told people something only for them to argue and disagree with you, only that they may discover it themselves and be enlightened. And there's a part of you that wants to jump out and say, I told you that for the last five years, you know, but then you got to have that humbleness. Praise the Lord. I'm right. glad that you discovered it. So, you know, it takes time. And then there is the uh, meekness, you know, that humility, being humble with long suffering. Oh, man. You know, to be in ministry, I mean, you can talk to people about Jesus, have them leave with the right perspective in Christ, go out, be corrupted by the world or some false religious setting, and then they come back and want to argue again next week about something else. And then you start saying to yourself, I thought we just covered this. I thought we just made the point clear that you understood so you see, this part of ministry can be very tough. You do suffer long. There are times you don't even see fruit growing, but you continue to preach the word. And Jesus says the workman is worthy of his meat. He says that if you endure in due season, you will reap the benefits of what this is about. And I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about seed growth. I'm talking about seeds planted that grow trees, that bear fruit, that drop down and die that make more seeds, that build more trees and grow more fruit. This is a thing of fruitfulness in God's eyes. So it says, for bearing one another in love. You know, I love you, so I won't really tell you how I'm feeling right now concerning what you said or what you've done. So to be able to bear with one another, it gets difficult. As a minister, it gets difficult as a member of the congregation. Sometimes it's not just... You know, your, your minister or pastor enduring you, it's you enduring them. Sometimes they can be hard, too, and telling you things, and you're like, you know what, I'm not even going to argue with you. <laughs> All right, let me just let it be. Leave it alone. We have to love, have that love for one another, for bearing each other. This is what Jesus has done for the church. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So as you can see, this is the goal. The reason why we are meek, the reason why we are um, lowly, the reason why we suffer long and we forbear one another in love is endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. We all have flaws. We all have our issues. We all got things that there are insecurities 
that God will take out of us in due time. But we've got to be that place conducive for the Holy Ghost to work, not backbiting, not fighting one another, not kicking people out because of certain things, but doing what the Lord says that growth can happen. Okay, that's what this is about. Verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. O Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So it is important that the Holy Ghost engulfs a church, engulfs a ministry, engulfs the minister and the congregation. Why? Because there is only one faith, one body, one spirit, one calling, one baptism, one Lord. Okay, so we got to understand it's all about the power of one in Christ Jesus. That's why we all sit together. That's why we teach one another. That's why we distribute the gospel. That's why we have the life of Christ inside of us so that we can be all in all. I love that again. Look at verse 6. One God and Father of all. That is God the Father who is above all, including Christ, and through all. So he is in us all with his Holy Spirit. I mean, through all and in us all. Man, that is so key when you consider the fact that, you know, God is looking for God in every single one of us. He's looking for Christ in you to work through you. He's looking for Christ in you to forbear each other. Man, I'm telling you, we cannot do this in our own strength. That's why you find a lot of people that have not the spirit they get given over to money. That's why Satan always tries to entice people with money to keep the spirit from falling on you. Now, there's nothing wrong with having money, but we got to understand that this thing is bigger than money. This is about a self-sacrifice that God may be glorified in us all. All right, so he says in verse 7, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. So how much Christ we have in us, consider it determines how much grace we have with God. See, so that's why the more you know, the more you can be accountable with. That's why we've got to be careful how we tread with Christ. Run this race with patience. Move as the Spirit tells us to move so that we can do only according to the measure of faith that we have. Okay, the measure of Christ. Verse 8, wherefore he saith. He is ascended up on high. He led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? So what are we looking at? We are looking at the transformation for being Christ-like. The way to God's kingdom is down. Okay, so we got to remember, it's always about humbling ourselves and God exalting us in due time. Jesus went as low as he can possibly go in order to have the Father. Imagine being God, divine, in the flesh, coming into the earth, manifested to save a people that didn't even want him, to be crucified of his creation, to be spat on, to be treated like nothing. And then he got, I mean, he suffered this brutal death, then died. Okay, and then was in the heart of the earth ministering to the spirits and then being resurrected on the third day. Not only to come back and help our faith grow by showing who he is, but then being um, elevated 
to the point of sitting on the right hand of the Father so that all can see. So the way to God's kingdom is down. And this is what we're going to discuss concerning true ministry. True ministry is of Christ. True ministry is a meekness, lowliness. It's an enduring. It's dealing with so much so that others may grow. So a lot of people talk about serving the Lord, but you really want to ask people, do you really want to serve the Lord? Because this is what true ministry is about, doing what God says. And a lot of ministry ain't going to feel good. He that descendeth is the same also that ascendeth up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. So it was important that Jesus came down to do what he did for us so that he could be exalted. If it wasn't for the sacrifice of the Father giving up his Son, if it wasn't for the sacrifice of the Son for you and I, there would be no redemption. So this is how important ministry is. It begins from the highest of high, God the Father, giving his own Son to come into the earth to do a work for you and I. Now, who are we to think that we can't minister? Who are we to think that we're too big for ministry, that we can't go and preach the gospel, that we can't put our lives out there? True ministry breaks your heart. Verse 11. So this is Christ, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why did he do this? For the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So why are they there? To perfect the ministry, not to keep them bound to you, not to ask for tithes and offering every week, not to get in some woman's pants. This is for doing the work of the ministry to edify the body of Christ, not fleecing the flock. You're supposed to feed the flock. And that's why the Lord asked Peter three times, Peter, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Feed the lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Lord, I love you. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know that I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Jesus wanted to make that clear. If you love me, you will do the work of the ministry. And that's why we can't get to certain parts of ministry until we mature, until it no longer becomes about us, until we're willing to hand our lives over to Christ so that he can live in you and I and work through us. So look at verse 13. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So these guys have to labor. We've got to work. We've got to keep going for the work of the ministry till we all come in the unity of faith. So you see, God's plan is not for you to sit in pews the rest of your life listening to one individual. His goal is to teach you the gospel that you may go and do what God has called you to do. So that person that's in service, whether they be apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, or evangelist, they're there at the expense of God to help you get to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ unto a perfect man, meaning that when the, the ministry is done with you, you shouldn't be lacking anything concerning following God. Mm -hmm. Now, it's not because that pastor gave you something. It's because of their faithfulness to God and God pouring into them that you may not lack in the spirit. Amen. 
Okay, so this is still us, us and Jesus. It's still together. Verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slate of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. So as you can see, the reason, the other reason for ministry, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. So if you're going to minister, your doctrine has got to be sound. You've got to be willing to defend the truth, stand for the truth, and show people in the word of God where the truth is. Why? So that people may grow and mature properly and they won't have any heresy in the midst. They won't have any false gospel, any false beliefs. Their goals won't be separate from God because they will be led to the cross. They will be led to Jesus who will take them through all that they need to know. So as you can see, this is not an easy work. This is only a work to those who are called, those who are chosen by God, and those who remain faithful. Verse 15, but speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. So this thing should be love-based, love through and through. A bunch of selfless people working to see the next generation, to see others in the congregation grow to the point of maturity, growing and then going. That's what this is about. Grow and go. Don't stay in the same place where you were. Grow and go as Christ wanted you to. He never had the disciples just stand up under him. He told them many times, Guys, I'm going to leave you, okay? I've got to go. You can't go where I'm going, but you tarry until you be endowed with power. That's what this whole thing is about. Let's go to Philippians 2. Philippians chapter 2, right next door. And let's begin at verse 1. You want to add anything? No? You good? All right. Philippians 2 and 1, and it says, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. So this is ministry. This is what it's supposed to be, that we ought to be on one accord, having the same joy, like-minded, being um, of one mind. Verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. So you can see here that this ministry, this is not about vain glory. He said, let nothing be done through strife, through arguing and trying to contend and fight over things or through vain glory, worshiping of me. And that's why you find a lot of pastors, they'll have their name on their ministry. I'm such and such apostle from whatever. You know, because they're trying to make a name for themselves. This thing is about Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. That's right, amen. And so he says, man, and esteem others better than yourself. How many can say that they're doing that? That you're looking on the responsibilities of other people that they may be taking care of ahead of you. 
Man, we are so far from the truth. But see, this is true ministry. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. So what are we saying here? We are a brother's keeper. How your brother makes it from day to day is important. How much of the Bible your brother knows is important. That you should want to teach them that they may know. You know, how's your walk with the Lord lately? What are you doing? What's been happening? Can I pray for you in areas that you know that you're weak, that God can build you up? Man, that's what this is about. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So as you can see, Jesus was never one to pay attention to his own affairs. We have to have a mind of Christ. Man, what if Jesus just said, you know, I'm going to take care of me today. You know, what if Jesus just withdrew and instead of going up in the mountains to pray, he went to just go and kick back and get some sleep. Or he went to go up there and make a phone call or do what he needed to do. You know, you got to understand Jesus. Every day he lived for the will of the Father. Now, I'm speaking to those in ministry. How many of us can say that this is what we're doing? We're hanging on the lives and souls of people that need the Lord, that you're taking care of what they need well ahead of what you need. Man, verse 6, who being in the form of God. So Jesus was in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. So he could have come that way, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So Jesus said, hey, I'll come as a servant. I'm going to come in the likeness of men. I'm going to go through the whole process of being born out of a woman, you know, um, understanding what it is to deny sin every day, to live in this life. But the Bible does say that Jesus grew in spirit. The child grew. He got stronger in spirit and understanding with God. But Jesus didn't make a move until he was 30 years of age. And I think that was perfect. That's what the father wanted. Jesus was already ministering and doing things. But when it came time for Jesus to deny all of his life, that was at the age of 30. Now, I'm not saying that's everybody's age, but we've got to understand. Now was the time for Jesus to go and do the work of the ministry. So in many ways, the work of the ministry does take a mature mind. It takes a mind in some ways that has been there, that has seen it all, that has walked with the Lord, that knows what they're getting into before they get in. Okay, because if you don't, you'll have a false reality of, I only teach on such and such days, but the rest of the time is mine. You know, Jesus first walked the earth and saw the need for what was necessary here. He saw the hurts and the pains, and he gave his life to the Father completely at 30 years of age. I mean, he always did, because he even said at 12 years old, you know, how is it that you sought me, Mom and Dad? Don't you realize I must be about my father's business so jesus was special in that sense you know but he also lived a selfless life that other people might receive what god wanted to give them yeah and two i know we've talked about this before but the fact that he was born in bethlehem which was the ghetto mm -hmm. so he was born not of you know in a palace or anything like that but he was born in the lowliest of fashions that anyone could be born in i mean a manger mm -hmm. coming out but it was the fact he was born around the homeless. He was born around the poverty. That's right. That way, it, it, I mean, of course, he's God as well, but 
was God and he was born in our flesh. So he had exposure to what was what was going on around him. And that's, that's right. the thing about ministry is that we have to have the exposure to what's going on around us in feeding the homeless and take care taking care of those that can't take care of themselves. That's because, right. Hey, we've said this before, man, you give a homeless person a ham sandwich and you might as well give them this a twelve course meal. Exactly. Because they have an appreciation for those things. And that's what's going to happen, man. So I just think when tribulation and stuff starts, that's going to wake a lot of people up to what's most important. Because mm -hmm. right now, when people are doing their things, they just don't, it's just not that important to them. But you see, a minister, when Paul says, be instant, in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. It's because Paul knew, hey, you got to be ready. You don't know what God is going to call you to do today. Mm -hmm. So you've got to be ready for, to, to answer that call. Yep. That's another part of ministry. You don't know what you'll be doing from day to day. Ministry is a full-time job. Wherever there is a need for the Lord, it's not based in when you're ready. It's when God is ready to use you. All right, so verse 8 says, In being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So Jesus wasn't just obedient unto death. And you know, I believe what they're talking about here, when it says obedient unto death, I don't think that this is physical death. I believe that they're talking about dying out to self. He was obedient unto dying out to self, even the death of the cross. Now that's physical death. You see what I'm saying? You die out to self, but then he was led unto the altar where he may die and pass on, that other people may receive the Spirit. So he, he died himself first, you know, physically, as far as um, his, his desires for the world. But then the death of the cross is what enabled us to have the Spirit. Mm -hmm. So he went through two phases. Verse 9, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him. He humbled himself in verse 8. God has exalted him in verse 9. And given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So that's what this is about. This is not about us. This is about the living God. And then he says in verse 12, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as, not as in my presence only, but now much more in the absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So you see, we ought to take the words of God true, faithful, doing what God says, that God might be exalted. All right, so let's go to Exodus. I want to go to Exodus 32. And let's look at verse 1. Let's go to Exodus 32 and verse 1. We're going to get quite a few examples of broken hearts in here. You know, and what it, what it was like. Does everybody think ministry is just jumping up, grabbing a mic? You got no idea what this is about. Now see, that's another thing that ministry does. It matures you. Because you get used to dealing with people crying and complaining 
and wanting this and that, and you're not preaching the right gospel, and maybe if you show a little bit more love, everything will be fine. This is the kind of mess you deal with. Mm -hmm. You know, well, so you're saying we can't have some of the world or none of the world? Or, so what is God saying? See, it's, it's a different perspective, too, with a minister, with someone that's involved in ministry and a spectator. We've talked about this before. The only way for you to really grasp it is to get in it. That's what's going to mature you. Because you're going to realize I'm not just serving myself. I'm not just giving my opinion. I'm living through the experiences that Jesus is putting me through so that I might see. All right, so this is Exodus 32. Let's look at verse 1. And he says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mountain, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us, as, I mean, for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. So you see, they don't see Moses anymore. This doesn't sound like Paul. Paul says in Philippians 2 that, hey, when I was with you, you guys always obeyed. Not just when you were with me, but when I wasn't there either. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Right here, you see the opposite. And it makes clear Moses led them out of Egypt. You know, out of the things that they were bound by and across the Red Sea. And you see when they get to the other side, these guys said, well... We haven't seen Moses for a while, so why don't we go back to what we know? So as you can see, these guys are not that serious. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them to me. So Aaron was supposed to be Moses' right-hand man. He was, he was with Moses in the court against Pharaoh. He was with Moses when they parted the Red Sea and everything else. But now because Moses is gone, even the person left in charge has now betrayed him, is now betraying the Lord, is now giving the people what they want. Imagine dealing with that. And it was his brother of all things. Verse 3, And all the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with the graven tool after he had made the molten calf, uh, and they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is the feast to the Lord, is a feast to the Lord. So Aaron didn't even stand up, didn't even say, Guys, I'll make you what you want, but this is wrong. He didn't even say that. He just yielded to what the people said and did it. You know why? Aaron was concerned for Aaron. Aaron wasn't that close to the Lord. Moses was God's chosen and called. But as you can see, Aaron, who was supposed to be a part of this, is now helping out the people. Verse 6, And they rose up early in the morrow and, and uh, offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. So as you can see, the people's perspective was very different than Moses. What was Moses doing? Up in the mountain of God that everybody was afraid to talk to, up there for 40 days fasting in God's presence, just listening and obeying the God, obeying the Lord, doing what the Lord says. And you see what the congregation is doing? 
eating, drinking, and rising up to play. Verse 7, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down for thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way, which I command them. They have made them a molten calf, and have worshipped it, and have sacrificed thereunto, and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So you don't think God was paying attention while Moses was in his presence. God heard all the way down from the mountain, word for word, what was going on there and what was being said. So he said, these people have corrupted themselves, worshiping another God. Mm -hmm. So, um, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now, some people could say, Lord, how could you say a thing? I thought that you were love. Get in the ministry. Get involved in ministry because you know what? You will feel what the Lord feels right now, saying, man, even after all the preaching, even after what was said, even after what was done, these people are stiff-necked. See, you can't call people stiff-necked or see them as stiff-necked unless you have dedicated your time to helping people get past things. Then you begin to see. Verse 10. Now therefore let me alone. That my wrath may wax hot against them. And that I may consume them. And I will make of thee a great nation. So Lord it was like Moses. I think the time for you to leave is now. Because I'm this angry. That I'm ready to go down there and consume them. And burn this place up. I took these people out of Egypt. And all they can think about is turning against me. He said, Moses, you better get out of here. And you better get out of here now. Because things are going to get hot. All right? This is what he's saying. And uh, he said, I'll make you a great nation. But these people I want to get rid of. Verse 10. Uh, verse 11. And Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Now Moses is a pretty bold guy. God already said, hey, this is what I'm going to do. Moses, you better leave. Moses saying, Lord, you promised. Okay, you said that you were going to bring these people out of the land. And Lord, I know that I probably should obey right now. But Lord, I'm going to stand for them. Okay, I need you to save them. Lord, repent of the evil that you intend to do. You promised that these people would come into the land. God chose wisely. God chose a man that even when he thought about doing otherwise to them, that this man stood in the gap. Man, I have chosen a good leader, a good shepherd. Even though the people do not obey, Moses is still dedicated to what God wants. All right, but Moses also doesn't know what's going on down there. He only knows bits and pieces. But man, what a leader. What a humble man to just say, you know what, Lord, I've seen your power. You're right. Let's just go down there and burn it up. You know, but Moses, on the other hand, is saying, Lord, repent of this evil, which you intend. That's bold. 
You know what I'm saying? To go towards the Lord and say what he says. Let me make the point. So he says, um, let's see, uh, verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So you see, I want to bring up another point. When Moses said in verse 12, Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say for mischief? Did he bring them out to slay them? Moses was entering a, a, a service that was bigger than himself. Moses was really, in many cases, seeing the whole picture. Lord, I don't want you to be blasphemed. I don't want people to say what you were not able to do. Lord, I believe you and I know what you can do. I know how you're feeling, but Lord, this is bigger than you and I. And God knows that. He wasn't educating the Lord on anything he didn't know. But God was, he chose a good intercessor to stand in there for the people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, which is another name for Jacob, thy servants, to whom thou swearest but thine own self, and saidest unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord repented of this evil, which was thought to do unto, this, unto his people, and Moses turned and went down from the mount, and the two tables of testimony were in his hand, and tables were written on both their sides, on the one side and on the other were they written. So Moses thought he did a good work, like, okay, Lord, you repented. Let me just walk down the mountain now with these tablets, because I have helped save the people. The only reason the Lord listened to Moses is because the Lord knew that Moses was just like him. Moses had a heart for the Lord. So the Lord's like, Moses, okay, I'll repent because you're only going to do what I wanted to do because you're a faithful servant. Mm -hmm. Verse 16, and the tables were the work of God and the writing was the writing of God graven upon the tables. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said unto Moses, there was a noise of war in the camp. And he said, It is not the voice of them that shout for mastery, neither is it the voice of them that cry for being overcome, but the noise of them that sing do I hear. Now Joshua was faithful because Joshua caught the Lord, I mean, he caught Moses on the way back. But Joshua was up there in the mountain with him, not exactly where Moses was, but was hanging on faithful to Moses. All right, I'm going with you. He wasn't a part of that mess down here. So it's no wonder when God got ready to change leadership, Aaron was already dead. He chose Joshua, who was faithful to the call of God. Mm -hmm. All right, so he says in verse 19, And it came to pass, as soon as he came nigh unto the camp, and he saw the calf, and the dancing, and Moses' anger waxed hot. So they were dancing in this idolatry, and Moses was hot. And he cast the tables out of his hands and break them beneath the mount. And he took the calf <laughs> which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and strawed it upon the water and made the children of Israel drink of it. Moses is mad. Like, man, I can't believe, Lord, you repented of this, you know, for my sake. But I didn't know that all this was going on. You know, so you see, when we obey God, He'll lead your heart in the right direction, regardless of what you feel. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, where it said here, I know we've covered this before about grounding it, he grounded it into powder. Mm -hmm. Well, 
we know that if we don't fall upon Jesus and let him break us, that he will grind us into powder. Mm -hmm. So, like, this was an early representation of if we get so far into our own idolatry and don't give it to the Lord, we will be grounded into powder. And it's like we have to drink the cup of what we, of the cup of that idolatry to so right. don't you know, comes to the Lord. Exactly. It's like this is an early representation that he made them actually drink exactly mm -hmm. what they were, you know, worshiping. Exactly. You were going to drink from that cup. So imagine Moses coming back down from the mountain, because this isn't about me. This isn't about Moses. This isn't about any pastor, but I want people to understand the heart of ministry mm -hmm. because Moses came to bring forward the truth and he gets down there and he's like, I know he must have been thinking, Lord, why did I even pray for these people? Why did I even put myself in harm's way that, that these people would try and inherit if I knew that they were doing this? Mm -hmm. And this is what can happen. You can pray for people night and day and still have them hate you. I don't know why people hate ministers, but they do. Why do they fight ministers when you got the devil out there all day long if you want to fight? But you see, they're always fighting the minister. They always fight God. They always go against what God wants. And as a faithful steward, we got to be in there and take it. We've got to do what we are called to do. So he says, And Moses said unto Aaron, What did this people unto thee, that thou hast brought so great a sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord wax hot. Thou knowest the people, that they are set on mischief. For they said unto me, Make us gods which shall um, go before us for as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we want not what has become of him. And I said unto them, whosoever have any gold, let them break it off. So they gave it to me and then cast it into the fire and there came out this calf. So now Aaron is trying to make people believe that God was for this. This was a work of God, so he wouldn't look bad. The Bible made clear earlier in this chapter, Moses, I mean, Aaron fashioned this thing and built it up well and had a little altar for it so that everything would be fine. And now Aaron is saying, oh man, this thing, I mean, they just said they needed another God because you weren't here. So in some ways he was kind of blaming Moses even though he was repeating what the people said. Uh -huh. It's like, it ain't about that. What did I tell you to do? Oh, they gave it to me, and I just threw all the earrings in the fire, and the calf formed and just jumped out. But why didn't Moses buy that story? Because Moses knows the Lord. Mm -hmm. Moses spent time with him, and God went and asked for such a thing. So this is why we got to know the Lord to know his heart. But see, now he's got his lying brother, which is against him, you know, lying on him about what he did. Mm -hmm. So not only did he have to deal with the people, the very person that helped him represent God in Pharaoh's court, he's now contending with. Oh, boy. So the calf jumped out of the fire, according to Aaron. Verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people were naked, that, meaning, that means no God. For Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. So God doesn't stand for idolatry. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp, and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together unto him. And he said unto them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, 
put every man his sword by his side, and go in and out from the gate to gate throughout the camp, and slay every man his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. And the children of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and there fell of the people that day about 3,000 men. So Moses wasn't playing. He said, okay, if this is the type of idolatry that's going to be in the midst. Now, today we don't kill people, but I want ministers to understand this. Many cases you're going to be preaching in corrupted waters. Mm -hmm. You're going to have some that believe the truth, and you're going to have others that don't believe. Even though you might know this, even though the odds are against you, even though there are people that don't want to hear what you have to hear, your sword has got to be also by your side. And you have to be willing to wield it at the commandment of God. That means even speak the things that these people don't want to hear, that they don't want to believe. Why? Because this is all about salvation. We are not people pleasers. We did not come into it for this. We are in this to please the living God and to do what he calls us to do, regardless of who won't. That's right. Verse 29. For Moses had said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord, even every man upon his son and upon his brother, that he may bestow upon you a blessing this day. So these people were already consecrated, but now Moses has got to consecrate them again. Saying, guys, consecrate yourselves for what you've done. That's what preaching the gospel does. That's why when there is reproach, when there is rebuke, when there are things going on in the midst, you've got to preach against it so that people can continuously be sanctified. Whatever the filth the enemy tried to put on their mind or on them, you preach that stuff off of them so that they can be set free. And it's a continuous work. It's not a one-time deal. This is the washing of the water by the word. Verse 30, And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up unto the Lord peradventure. I shall make an atonement for your sins. So imagine having to make an atonement for somebody else's sin. He was already up there 40 days with no food. And then to come down and deal with that. But Moses, understanding his position, I got to get back up there. Because yeah. I broke the tablets because of you guys. You know, so I got to go back up there before the Lord again and make an atonement. This ain't going to sit well with the Lord. Now, do we do it that way today? Not really. Because all things have been handed over to Jesus. But you preach repentance to people that they might receive it and be brought right before God as the right sacrifice. Amen. So he says, And Moses returned unto the Lord, walked all the way up that mountain, and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin, and have made them gods of gold. Yet now, yet now, um, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book, which thou hast written. Man, you want to talk about a faithful God. Moses said, Lord, these people have sinned, and if it be your will, you know, save them from their sins, sanctify them, and blot me out, because I led this group. This wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for me. Now, Moses is not trying to get people to feel sorry for him. This is coming from him because he understands his position. Mm -hmm. 
that he was given authority over them, and he is the mediator. He's a type of Christ here because he is a mediator between God and man. Right. All right? So he says, um, verse 33, And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever has sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, my angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. So he said, Moses, don't start, don't stop the job. Keep on going, you know, or whatever. But he says, those who have sinned against me, Moses, is who I'm going to take it out on, not you. That goes right back to what Paul was saying. You work out your own salvation through fear and trembling. Mm -hmm. And it is our responsibility to tell people these things so that they know. Amen. And the Lord plagued the people because they had made the calf which Aaron, which Aaron made. So it made clear Aaron made it. So Aaron can stop lying about what he said or he would do. But this is one of those things where look at the heart of the servant. The servant is not self-serving. The servant is not looking for conditions suitable for himself. He is going according to where he is led. And he is faithful to the call, even when things are not where they should be. And this is a lesson for me. Mm -hmm. This is the Lord speaking to me. And you know what? Good. Because we can all use what God has in store for us. Right. That we might be what? Perfected. Reaching the stature of the measure of the fullness of of Christ. But man, you would think, man, that was just all Moses went through. Oh, no. Moses went through more than that. Moses went through a lot for the people. Let's go to Numbers 11. Numbers chapter 11. And as we said, and I'm going to say again, and I'll probably say many times through this study, true ministry breaks your heart. Now, that were Creflo Dollar? First of all, he would have took the gold, all right, the earrings and all that stuff, and, and then just said, you guys wait right here and y'all pray, okay, because I need to get the perfect vision of what God wants to be built. He would have saw all that gold. He would have cut for the hill. You would have never seen him again or any of these pastors. No. Man, that's what I'm talking about. He would have had gold galore, gold galore. You think he would have interceded for the people? They said, man, Lord, burn them up. Do what you need to do, because after all, I do got a bag of gold. This is what was Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed Jesus. Think about it. Judas said, oh, man, why they pour all that big box of alabaster ointment on, on uh, Jesus? Man, well, that stuff could have been sold to, the, to help the poor and the needy. Yeah. But it wasn't for the poor and the needy. The Bible made clear because he was a thief. He was covetous, so he was looking about what he could get. So Judas was the son of perdition because he didn't have a heart for people. No. Judas thought there would be some gold upon this trail, and because there wasn't, he sought gold for himself. Mm -hmm. He stole from the money bag. He accepted what the Pharisees gave him to betray Jesus for a price. Yep. And this is what we will do if we don't have a heart for the Lord. And this ministry has to break you. That's why God put you in it. So you can suffer long. So you can see what he feels and become more faithful. And I know me, I could be a complaining person sometimes. The Lord knows. Man, I see things are not right and I've tried. Man, I can be a complaining individual. 
But you know what? This word is for me, just like it's for everyone else. This is all about true ministry. This is Numbers 11. Let's look at verse 1. And when the people complained, it displeased the Lord. And the Lord heard it, and his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed them that were in the uttermost parts of the camp. So as you can see, the Lord angered again. After they already saw what the Lord did, you think they would have listened. But no, they're continuously complaining, so the Lord consumed them. Verse 2, And the people cried unto Moses, and when Moses prayed unto the Lord, the fire was quenched. So Moses asked the Lord, Lord, don't burn them up. You know, just, Lord, please don't do this. And the Lord said, all right, you know, look at verse 3. And he called the name of the place Tabera, uh, because the fire of the Lord burnt among them. And the mixed multitude uh, that was among them fell a lusting, and the children of Israel also wept again and said, who shall give us flesh to eat? So now they're begging for food, but at this time, manna was already being poured. Uh, we remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, uh, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all beside this manna before our eyes. Now, you know, this can be said in so many ways because... I'm probably going to have to point to some things within myself because being in the ministry, the Lord is actually speaking to me right now. These people said, we remember the fish, which we did eat in Egypt, and the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And then they said, but now our soul is dried up. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. I want to tell you another thing that can be very frustrating to being in ministry is when you go out and you tell people what they need to know concerning Christ, and the first thing they'll do is talk about what they're not learning here, but what they're learning from another pastor. Now, this isn't jealousy because I don't care as long as people learn. Mm -hmm. But one thing people got to understand is they've got no appreciation for what they are learning. They'll bring up this and that. It's all right, so go there then. You get what I'm saying? Go where you can learn. Do what you can do so that you can grow. Mm -hmm. But see, they're reminiscing. What about Egypt? What about this? Oh, our other pastor, he let us have ice cream and this and that. And we played games and all we talked about was love. Well, go back to Egypt then. Okay, because this thing is about pointing people towards Jesus. But as you can see, the closer you get to the cross, you're going to find it gets narrow. Everybody's not crossing that Jordan River. So I'm not making this about me. I'm just saying that when you're a minister in the Lord, you're going to hear stuff like this. Okay, people are going to be displeased with you. They're not going to agree with you. That's okay. Because this thing is about bringing people to Jesus. But this, for the meantime, is what Moses is dealing with. Yeah. Also, too, with that is, is we know that Jesus Christ being the bread of life, he's not looking to take our fun away, but he... Uh, pulls the scale off of our eyes to That's see right. him, to see everything in truth and reality and what's really going on around us. But here, when they said, you know, we ate the, the fish freely and all these other things, it was like the closer and closer they got to the promised land, Satan was trying to take their mind back to the flesh. Mm -hmm. Oh, I remember this. And it was like, man, and if you bring that into modern day times, that's what the devil's trying to do too to people. 
That's the closer they try and get to salvation, the devil's like, but don't you remember all the fun we had together? Yeah. I mean, that's what he did to me. Mm-hmm. It's like, don't you remember all the fun and all the partying, all the good times and the great friends that you had when you were in the life, in this life? So. And that's why one of the hardest parts of ministry to do, like Moses is trying to do there, he was trying to pull captive slaves from Egypt, not just physically, but also in the mind, mm-hmm. and to sustain in the wilderness to get their houses in order with the Lord so that they can reach the promised land. So as you can see, those are some of the, that's probably the hardest job that you will have ministering to people. One is to preach the world out of them. Mm-hmm. That is the toughest part of ministry. Why? Because people have known the world all their lives. Mm-hmm. Over time, our minds transform from carnal unto spiritual. Before the meantime, you're going to have people that just won't let this go. So much so that they will fight you to maintain it. So we got to understand in ministry, the hardest journey is to try and pull people from where Moses pulled them unto where they need to be. And that was the hardest thing for Jesus too. Mm -hmm. That was the hardest thing. He was always telling his disciples, are you also without understanding? What is it that you don't get now? Oh, you realize the Pharisees are offended. Jesus said, all I know is this. Every tree that my father bringeth not up will be hewn down and cast into the fire. When they looked at the temple, man, look at the temple and all the things that are on it. Jesus said, you see this? Now one stone will be upon another until, what did he say? Until they be all cast down. But this is what Jesus was constantly contending with. Mm -hmm. You Pharisees, you hypocrites, you dead men's bones. How can you escape the damnation of hell? This is what Jesus was contending with. Why? He wanted people set free. So it says, And the manna was uh, as coriander seed, and the color thereof as a color of bedellium. And the people went about and gathered it of the ground in the mills and beat it in in a mortar and baked it in pans and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was as the taste of fresh oil. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. Okay, and Moses heard the people weep through their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased. So the Lord is angry, Moses is angry, like, man, guys, do you realize where you were? Don't you want to see what God wants to give you so that you can go forward? But all they could think about was what was before. Verse 11, And Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? And wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight? That thou layest the burden of all this people upon me. (laughs) Moses is ready to quit. You know, it's like at this point, food is not even enough for you. You need, you know, what do you need? Not just steak. What do they call that? You know, a uh, certain kind of steak. Uh, you know, you want ribeye. You want sirloin. You want, you know, yeah, T-bone steak. You know, and uh, can I get a little wine with that perhaps? I mean, these people were so displeased, I mean, with what God was trying to do with them. Right. So Moses is like, dear Lord, why did you smite me with these people? Like, they don't listen. They don't want to do anything. Why do you put this on me? Because God was testing Moses. God knew that this would make Moses stronger. Mm -hmm. 
But Moses later on gets beside himself, which is what we are not to let happen to us. That's why even as a minister, when the people disobey, when things are not to the way that God likes them or you want to see, you've got to remember, keep your eyes focused on Jesus. Mm -hmm. Don't become bitter because once you become bitter in this, you will stop caring. You will say, you know what? I'm just going to take my money and go out the door. And that's what happens with a lot of people when they can't sustain. Haven't you had a teacher say in the class when kids were bad, you know what? You guys want to act up? Go ahead. I could just sit here and be paid regardless. See, that's a person that's giving up. That's a person that just says, you know what? I don't really care anymore. Y'all want to act stupid? That's fine. I'm just going to get paid anyway, and I can move on. God don't want a servant like that. He wants a servant with a broken heart that will continuously feel what he feels that we may understand God better. So Moses is like, Lord, why do you give me these people? Look at verse 12. Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them that thou shouldest say unto me, carry them in thy bosom as a nursing father beareth the suckling child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Now, Moses has asked a good question here because what Moses is saying is, is it going to be this way where a father carries his suckling children and nursing them into the promise, into the land? Is that what you want to happen, Lord? I can say in many cases to Moses, yes and no. Yes, because it takes that type of patience to be in ministry to help people grow. But no, because there reaches a point where salvation is an individual affair. All right, so we got to understand at times it'll feel like this. When should I have flesh to, the, flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. And if thou deal thus with me, Kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have favor, uh, favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. So Moses is even to the point in this, that he's even asking, Lord, kill me, if it means that I won't have to deal with this. This is why I named the title, True Ministry Breaks Your Heart. Because for those pastors out there who are faithful to God, for those ministers out there that are preaching the word in spite of what they're dealing with, you know that this is what you feel like at times. This can become very hard, very daunting. You care for others and others care for themselves. But we have to keep our eyes focused on the Lord because this is only for growth. And the Lord said unto Moses, Gather unto me seventy men of the elders of Israel, whom thou knowest to be the elders of the people and officers over them and bring them unto the tabernacle of the congregation that they may stand there with thee. So God is providing help for Moses. And this is why there's no such thing as a head pastor in ministry or in the church. The church is governed by a body of elders. That is the proper headship in a church. But Moses is now bearing the brunt end of this Lord, this is more than I can bear. But the Lord didn't move um, Moses out of leadership. He just simply gave Moses help within the leadership. Mm -hmm. And I will come down and talk with thee there. And I will take of the spirit 
which is upon thee, and I will put it upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with thee, that thou bear it not thyself alone. So this is also good for me and other people to remember, regardless of what you see, endure in the Lord. Because if the Spirit be upon a leader of the church, or a person that is governing in the church, then that Spirit is going to flock unto others. Now you see this all the time, even in a negative effect. When you can tell that a ministry is built on greed, that spills down, not just from the pastor, but unto the congregation. Yep. They now have a doctrine of prosperity that they want to follow. Yeah. But when you got people that are dedicated into Christ, full of the Spirit, or, or eager to learn the Word of God, then you find the rest of the congregation eager to learn and teach as well. So God will provide help, but God wants us to mature and to follow him. Mm -hmm. So God never wanted to leave Moses alone. He just wanted Moses to stay faithful. Moses cried out unto the Lord and said, but he can't bear. The Lord said, hey, Moses, don't worry about it. I got this. And say, unto, um, and say thou unto the people, sanctify yourselves against tomorrow, and ye shall eat flesh. For ye have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, who shall give us flesh to eat? For it was well with us in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you flesh, and ye shall eat. So the Lord said, oh, I'm going to give you guys flesh. If this is what you want, you can eat. All right, so let's go. Let's skip down to verse 27. This is verse 27 that these people are complaining. Moses has now got help. He's got 70 elders. If you read between where I stopped and 27, that God put his spirit on these guys. These guys began to prophesy. They began to tell, you know, uh, things of the Lord. Verse 27, And there ran a young man and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad do prophesy in the camp. And Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of Moses, one of the young men answered and said, My Lord Moses, for um, forbid them. And Moses said unto him, Envious thou for my sake? Would God that all the all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them? So Moses is saying, "Hey, you guys don't understand. You're envious, trying to help me. So, oh Moses, forgive them. They're going to take leadership over you, and this and that." Moses is like, "Do you guys even understand what I'm dealing with right now? <laughs> Where I've been? I could use a little help." And he said, "If prophecy is going on in the midst." And people are actually praying and doing all these things for the people. He said, man, you don't think God would rather have everybody here be a prophet of the Lord that everyone can grow? Mm -hmm. He said, man, let that spirit pour upon them. Amen. You know, this is what is necessary. And that's what also can weigh churches and ministries down. Too much of, of headship being in one place. Yep. There comes a point of maturity where the help can be spread, where God's will can be done. And Moses got him into the camp, he and the elders of Israel. And there went forth a wind from the Lord and brought quail from the sea and let them fall by the camp as it were a day's journey on this side and as it were a day's journey on the other side round about the camp and as it were two cubits high uh, upon the face of the earth. Man, can you imagine a day's journey from one side to the other as far as you can walk or travel? And you got quail two cubits high. Man, God gave them all the quail that they could probably eat for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what it was for. 
the rest of their lives. So, man, God, you know, he answered their prayers. Look at verse 32. And the people stood up all that day and all that night and all the next day, and they gathered the quails. Uh, he that gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them all abroad uh, for themselves round about the camp. So, you see, there's no complaining now because they're getting what they want. They wanted quail. They wanted fleshly desires. They wanted what Egypt would give. God says, all right, I will give you what Egypt wants you to have, okay, what you got from Egypt. And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hetevarah. <laughs> Hatava or Hatava, because there was buried of the people that lusted. So as you can see, you're going to deal with the lust and crap. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to push forward. But God gave them what they want. Okay, you don't want me. You want quail. Moses prayed to the Lord about it, and the Lord took care of everything. He did all the separation. He dictated what could be done. So when things get too much for us. One, we have to be meek, we have to, hum we have to be humble, we've got to pray before the Lord, and the Lord will meet every need you go through, but you've got to trust him. God governs this shit. He will put in the midst who he wants to be, and he will take from the midst that which he wants to take away from. All right, so let's go to Ezekiel 3. Ezekiel chapter 3, let's look at this. A man of God has got to know when to cry out. That's what a minister has to do. Lord, it's too much for me. You know, the Lord will take care of things, but when we think we can do these things in our own strength, that's not of God. God, in many ways, has to show us so that we can cry out. God tried to talk to these people, tried to tell them what they needed. They didn't even want a lesson. The Lord said, Moses, don't worry about it. I'll handle this. You get those 70 elders in play. And you do what I'm telling you to do. I'm going to give them quail. But it'll be some quail that they'll never forget. <laughs> Man, praise the Lord. This is And this is not coming out of a bitter heart, guys. This is coming out of letting those who are in ministry know that this is what you deal with when you are a minister. Now, you ask yourself if this is what you want to do. You need Christ in you to endure. That's right. Moses wasn't the perfect example of ministry. Jesus was the perfect example of ministry. But you see, when you're coming along, when you're learning, when you're moving, these are the types of temptations that you will have to deal with. I tell anybody, if you don't like what's being done in your ministry, then go join one. Go be a part of one. Then you'll have an understanding there's a big difference between a spectator and a participant. This is Ezekiel 3, and let's look at verse 1, and it says, Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, eat that thou findest, eat this roll, and go speak unto the house of Israel. So what is this roll? The word of God. What is this word? The bread of life. And he's saying, hey, eat this roll, and then go and, and speak to the people. So he wanted them first to understand this, and then go to the people and tell them the truth. So I opened my mouth, and he caused me to eat that roll. And he said unto me, Son of man, 
Cause thy belly to eat, and fill thy bowels with this roll that I give thee. Then, then did I eat it, and it was in my mouth um, honey for sweetness. And he said unto me, Son of man, go get thee unto the house of Israel, and speak with my words unto them. For thou art not sent to a people of a strange speech, and of an hard language, but to the house of Israel. So he's making it clear. I want you to go and talk to these people. Now that you have an understanding of me, that that word is in your belly, that your, that your belly has been filled with what I want it to be, now go and preach the gospel. Go tell people what they need to know. But I warn you about these people. These people are not from a foreign tribe. These people are not, you know, people of strange speech or hard language. This is the house of Israel that I'm sending you before. So these people will understand you. Look at verse 6. Not to many people of a strange speech and of an hard language whose words thou cannot understand. Surely I have sent thee to them. They would have hearkened unto thee. But the house of Israel will not hearken unto thee, for they will not hearken unto me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. So we got to understand, does God send us in the world to minister and to take care of people that understand you? No. He sends you in there to, to know, hey, I know these people are not going to listen. But this is so you can tell them the truth that they might discover it. So God knows that ministry is a hard job, but that's why he sends you. So for those who believe will, but he's already warning them, Ezekiel, I know I'm sending you here, but you got to understand who I'm sending you to. This is not going to be easy. Yep. All right. So he says, they don't even listen to me. So God will send you to people that don't even listen to him. That's all a part of the joy in ministry. Verse eight. Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. And as adamant, harder than flint, have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So we got to understand, God is saying, be conscious of me. He said, I made your forehead harder than a flint. I've made your face harder than theirs. So when you go... He said, man, don't worry about their looks. Anyone else in ministry, like I said, can also feel the same thing. You know when you say things that don't please people. Mm -hmm. You already know that, that they automatically get this look. And, you know, they may be whispering and sucking their teeth and, you know, just can't wait for you to finish. They even sigh, you know, to try and get you to... <sighs> and then they get this look where they turn the pages fast. Like, what have you got to say now? You already said plenty. What more else can you say? But you know what? You've got to not worry about those looks. You've got to preach the truth no matter what. Because I've been in settings like that where you go and preach the gospel of people and you can feel the agitation of demons in the room. You know, just, <sighs> what now? Shouldn't you be done by now? Haven't you read enough scripture? That's all a part of the enemy trying to silence you. So he's telling Ezekiel, don't worry about it. I made your head hard as a flint. He said, I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks. 
though they be a rebellious house. Moreover, he said unto me, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak unto thee, receive in thine heart and hear with thine ears. So as he's saying, hear it. Don't just listen to it. Hear it. Where do you receive it? In your heart. The very place that the enemy can't come and snatch it away from you. That's why it's important that you you receive God's word in your heart. Mm -hmm. Because that's the only thing that's going to make you want to minister to others. You don't do this for approval. You don't do this for applauses and amens. You do this because you love men and you love God. But you don't do this because you want people, ooh, good message, brother, yes, yes. Now, when you're preaching this gospel, you're going to offend more people than you will enlighten. But the bottom line is, this is all a part of the service of ministry. Mm -hmm. Everybody likes to minister to people who like them, people that they know. Go and minister to them who really need it. And let's see where you are in Christ. See, God loves to put you in situations like that so you can call on the Lord for real because you know you're going to need him. You know when you throw the word out there and all you hear is crickets. That's a good thing because God is only trying to put you in that place where you can grow and be more for him. Amen. Verse 11, and go get thee to them of the captivity unto the children of thy people and speak unto them and tell them, thus saith the Lord God, whether they will hear or whether they will forbear. Um, then the spirit took me up, and I heard behind me a voice of a great rushing saying, Blessed be the glory of the Lord from his place. And I heard also the noise of the wings of the living creatures that touch one another, and the noise of the wheels over against them, and the noise of a great rushing. You know, I heard this, and... You know, explained by someone that when Ezekiel went up in Ezekiel chapter 1, he was saying, yeah, you might have seen the throne of the Lord and you've seen the cherubim. But they, they presented it in a way that made so much sense that what Ezekiel was being shown was the world. He was being shown the firmament. He was being shown the wheel within the wheel, meaning like the way that things go as far as the world is concerned, where the angels would be. The Lord says the earth is my footstool. So God stands above that. The cherubim are holding the footstool of God. Mm -hmm. So it was important. The way that this person described it, I, I should just put that on the side or whatever, but it was a really interesting concept how he saw the host of heaven and all that was. But Ezekiel was being taken out and being shown a vision of the world and God that sits above it. I mean, that made perfect sense to me. But you guys have to read it in your spare time. That's not the subject for tonight. But, you know, it was just really interesting. Look at verse 14. So the spirit lifted me up and took me away. And I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. But the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. So when he went up, he was mad. Ezekiel was like, you know, I went here. <laughs> you know, and these people are hard. They don't want to hear me, whatever. He said, I went in bitterness. But, you know, he said the spirit of the Lord was strong upon him like Ezekiel. Don't worry. And there are times I felt that, man, even in crowds. When you being people are angry and agitated, and the Lord is like, don't worry. It's all right. I'm here with you. But this is all a part of being one with the Lord and doing what he says. All right, verse 15. Then I came to them of the, capt of the captivity in Tel Aviv. I bet you that's Tel Aviv. That um, dwelt by the river of Kabar 
And I sat where they sat and remained there astonished among them seven days. And it came to pass at the end of the seven days that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, I have made thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore, hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. Now, prophets, if you ever notice, when did a prophet in this Bible ever have good news? I mean, seriously. But see, this is what we want to present to people when really we're a sinful and rebellious world, rebellious nation. Mm -hmm. But when do prophets ever come and minister something saying, you know, um, you know, the Lord is telling me that you are a blessed people. So keep on doing what you're doing. The Lord is pleased. You've never seen that at one time in this Bible. The Lord says, hey, they're rebellious people. Ezekiel, listen to me. I've got warning that I'm going to place in your mouth that you can tell these people. See, man, that's true ministry. All that other fluff that they're trying to give people and all that, that's not even a part of it because we are to be perfected in Christ. I'm not saying everything taught should be about rebuking us, but the point is, is even in being lifted up, you got to know what you're being lifted up from. But people have a very unrealistic view of ministry. So he says, I chose you to be a watchman. I know Ezekiel is like, oh, great. You know, like I didn't have enough to deal with, you know. But it says in verse 18, when I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die. And thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life. The same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Now that's big, because you see, a lot of people today are afraid to preach the gospel. The Lord is saying, Ezekiel, I've chosen you as a watchman, but I want you to understand something. Whatever I tell you, you say. If I should tell somebody they'll be saved, if I should tell somebody they will die, you better tell these people exactly what I told you to say. All right, because if that person, if you don't, if you hold back the gospel or the truth for your sake and you go to try and help that person by not telling them and that person goes on in his iniquity and he dies, Ezekiel, his blood is on your hands because I have told you. That's right. See, nobody wants to serve a Lord like this, huh? Verse 19, yet if thou warn the wicked and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou shalt deliver thy soul. So why is it important that we preach the right gospel to people? Because we're also delivering our souls as ministers. Mm -hmm. If you hold back what God tells you to say for the sake of pleasing men, then your soul will be damned. And this is important. Verse 20, again, when a righteous man doth turn from his um, righteousness... Uh, and come and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die, because thou hast not given him warning. He shall die in his sin, and his righteousness, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man that the righteous sin not, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live. Because he is warned also, thou hast delivered thy soul. 
And the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he said unto me, Arise, go forth into the plain, and I will there talk with thee. Man, that's instruction of the Lord. The Lord was telling him, hey, we're getting ready to do this, but I'm giving you specific instruction. If you hold back the truth, your blood will I require at this person's hands. Okay, so we've got to be truthful in the gospel. And that's why Jesus says in John 4, you know, in 24, them that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. There is no getting around this. Jeremiah 20, Jeremiah chapter 20. can be a hard job, but we must remain faithful to what the Lord calls us to do. Amen. And it's time we stop being afraid of the congregation. We need to start having fear of the Lord. That's what this is about. That's right. Alright, so it says, this is Jeremiah 20, let's look at verse 1. Now Pasha the son of Emmer, the priest who was also chief governor in the house of the Lord, heard that Jeremiah prophesied these things then Pasha smote Jeremiah the prophet and put him in the stocks that were in the high gate of Benjamin, which was by the house of the Lord. And it came to pass on the morrow that Pasha brought forth Jeremiah out of the stocks. Then said Jeremiah unto him, The Lord hath not called thy name, Pasha, but Megar Mesabib, or Megar Mesabib. For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will make thee a terror to thyself and to all thy friends, and they shall fall by the sword of their enemies, and thine eyes shall behold it, and I will give all Judah into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall carry them captive into Babylon, and shall slay them with the sword. So they thought by pinning Jeremiah in jail that Jeremiah was going to stop talking. The second they let him out, Jeremiah continued where he left off. <laughs> telling people this is what's going to befall these people because they have not repented. Mm -hmm. Verse 5, Moreover, I will deliver all the strength of this city and all the labors thereof and all the precious things thereof and all the treasures of the kings of Judah will I give into the hand of their enemies, which shall spoil them and take them and carry them to Babylon. And thou, Pasha, and all that dwell in thine house, shall go into captivity, and shall, and thou shalt come to Babylon. And there thou shalt die, and shalt be buried there, thou and all thy friends in whom thou hast prophesied lies. So as you can see, Jeremiah received the same commandment as the Lord. When I tell you to speak, you speak. You hold back nothing. Jeremiah is telling the very man that put him in jail, <coughs> he that put him in jail, that you are going to pay a price for this, you know, and this will happen to you, and this is not going to be held back. So as you can see, a prophet's feelings have to be in the heart of God. He's got to be conscious of God. Verse 7, O Lord, thou hast deceived me, and I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I, and hast prevailed. I am in derision daily. Everyone mocketh me. So while Jeremiah said this, Jeremiah is now upset with the Lord. He said, Lord, you've deceived me. 
I was deceived. Thou art stronger than I. Lord, you're stronger than me. So why did you put me in this position? And it says, Lord, you have prevailed. I am in derision daily. People mock me because I'm bringing you the gospel. This is what's going to happen even within ministry, you know? At times, you are going to be mocked for bringing forth the truth. Most people will not believe what you said. But now Jeremiah, his mind is kind of pointing in the wrong direction. He's upset. Verse 9, then I said, this is Jeremiah, I will not make mention of him, nor speak any more in his name. But his word was in my heart uh, as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary with forbearing, and I could not stay. So as Jeremiah even wanted to quit, because the word of God was in his heart, the same place it was for Ezekiel, he said, man, I'm not going to stop. It was like fire in my bones. Though I wanted to shut up, though I didn't want to talk about homosexuality, though I didn't want to speak about, you know, prosperity gospel, though I didn't want to speak about the heroes of the world who were Jay-Z and Beyonce and all these people, knowing that people would be offended, it was like fire in my bones. I had to say these words right. that God wanted me to say. So he says in verse 10, For I heard the defaming of many, fear on every side. So people were defaming Jeremiah. Oh, you false prophet. You don't know what you're talking about. You're a fool. And then he said, fear on every side. I'll kill you, Jeremiah, if you say one more thing about the Lord. This is what Jeremiah dealt with. Report, say they, and um, we will report it. So they said, report. Go ahead and say it and see if we won't go to the magistrate and rat you out. These are people daring Jeremiah to speak up. So he says, on all my familiars watched for my halting. They couldn't wait for him to stop. All those closest to him, all those that were supposed to be on his side, maybe family members, close friends, they couldn't wait to hear Jeremiah shut up. Yep. They prayed for that, so they were not on his side. Then he says, saying, perhaps, peradventure, he will be enticed. And he shall prevail, and we shall prevail against him, and we shall take our revenge on him. Let me tell you guys out there that are in ministry one reason why people don't want you to speak the truth, why they want you to lie to them, is because they want the gospel to be knocked down to their level. That's what they want. Make me feel good about, excuse me, about my sin so I won't have to repent. And they said, Jeremiah, you're going to be enticed. Watch. You're going to be just like one of us. That's what this is about. People can't wait. You don't think I know that people can't wait to see me fall on my face? Uh-huh. You talk a lot of smack, but you couldn't back up any of it, could you? I'm glad he went to jail. He talked too much. They can't wait to see this. Why? Because speaking of God, presenting this word makes people conscious of their sin. Yep. It brings them right back to the place of, hey, either repent or keep on going where you're going. And that should always be before a Christian so that way they may choose God and not hold on to their sin. That's right. They say, you be enticed, we'll prevail against you, and we shall take our revenge on him. But the Lord is with me as a mighty terrible one. When it says terrible, it means full of awe. It doesn't mean terrible as in bad. Therefore, my persecutors shall stumble, and they shall not prevail. 
they sh and they shall be greatly ashamed, for they shall not prosper. Their everlasting confusion shall never be forgotten. But the Lord of hosts that tries the righteous and sees the reins and the heart, let me see thy vengeance on them, for unto thee have I opened my cause. Exactly. So if you open your heart to the Lord to serve him and do what he says, right away, you're going to have that, you know, feeling of, Lord, take revenge on this situation. I'm out here for you. Mm -hmm. I'm representing you. Now, some people, you know, it might be, well, shouldn't we love our enemies? Yes. But if you go to Revelation 18, we're not going in, but read it in your spare time. The last few verses, it makes mention that God will revenge the prophets even way back then for all them that suffered. So Jeremiah is saying, Lord, I'm out here for you. Lord, fight this battle for me. And them that come against you, deal with them too. That's a righteous prayer, you know? That is a righteous prayer. Jeremiah 23. Look at this. Jeremiah is going through this once more. And look at his warning unto so-called people that are supposed to be a part of the ministry. But as you are going to see, they are not. Jeremiah 23, look at verse 1. Woe be unto the pastors that, dis that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, against the pastors that feed my people, ye have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not revisited them. I mean, have not visited them. Behold, I will visit upon you the evil of your doings, saith the Lord. And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all countries, whither I have driven them, and will bring them again to their folds, and they shall be fruitful and increase. So God is going to pull all of these people that are his remnant out of these wicked and corrupt places. Yep. You know, these so-called churches. And I will set up shepherds over them, which shall feed them. And they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed, neither shall they be lacking, saith the Lord. So you see, God wants you to be complete. Remember what we read in Ephesians 4. The Bible makes clear that they are forbearing one another that until they reach the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. Why are apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists given? For the perfecting of the saints to do the work of the ministry, to edify the body of Christ. That's, right. That's the same thing that Jeremiah is prophesying here, that you're going to have pastors that are going to feed you that you won't go into, you won't be afraid. Because a lot of people are afraid today in churches because they're not being taught spiritual warfare. They're not being taught how to grow in Christ, yep. how to get stronger, how to forsake this life so you can inherit eternal life. These are what those shepherds would present. So he says in verse 5, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, capital B, that's Christ, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In the days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name, whereby he shall be called the, the Lord, our righteous. So, you know, that's in caps. We're speaking of Jesus Christ. This is who is the perfect shepherd that is going to set things right. Mm -hmm. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. 
but the Lord liveth which brought up and which uh, led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I have driven them and they shall dwell in their own land. So they're not going to just remember the days of Egypt when he led them out. We're talking about the Lord putting us in our own land. Okay? Lacking nothing like the promised land. Verse 9. My heart within me is broken because of the prophets. All my bones shake. I am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the Lord and because of the words of his holiness. So Jeremiah is being led by the Spirit. He said, man, I'm broken. I've got no fight in this against God. God is just using me. He said, man, I've got, what did he say? He said, my heart within me is broken. Mm -hmm. And that's one thing that will happen to you. Like I said, true ministry breaks your heart because God takes you to the places where people are actually suffering, yeah. where people need the Lord. He'll show you things to give you a heart after him that you might be like him. So, you know, and I heard what David Wilkerson said this years ago. He has a teaching called The Call to Anguish. And he said, true ministry is birthed out of anguish. And I believe that. He said, when my ministry was set up, I wasn't looking to build a church or anything like that. The Lord took him after he was anointed right down to 42nd Street to see the drugs on the street and everything else going on. And he said, man, anguish gripped his heart. That he cried out to the Lord, Lord, what can I do? And that's when Team Challenge was uh, made, you know, and other things that he did. But all ministry, I agree, is birthed out of anguish. Yep. While you see ministries not flourish, and I'm not talking about having groups of people. I'm talking about why they don't go forward and do what God says is because there's no anguish in the midst. You may feel it from one or two people that want it, and then you got a whole bunch of people just living their lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, let me know how it goes. You know, because I got other things going on. But I'll give you some prayer while you're in the trenches. But you see, they have not that anguish, which is what is necessary for doing what God says. That's right. So he said his heart is broken because of the prophets. So, you know, Jeremiah came after Isaiah, who came after, who's the other guy? Um, Zephaniah, or no, who's another guy? Zechariah. And all those guys were way back then. Trying to remember. No, it was Hosea. Hosea was before Isaiah. And then you had, uh, there were others. I think Jonah was before. Um, what's the other one? Oh, man, I can't remember his name. Uh, Amos. Those guys were before Isaiah. You know, they were before Jeremiah. So he said, man, my heart is broken because of them, because I know what's coming my way. Yep. But he said, like a drunken man, because of the Lord, he obeys what God tells him to do. True ministry breaks your heart. Right. And it'll give you a heart after him so you won't be so, what they say, cotton-picking, worried about you. Let's look at Acts 20. Acts 20, and let's go to verse 16. We're almost done. Some people say, well, that was Old Testament. What does that have to do with right now? So let's go to the New you know, Jesus is the example for everything, but yeah, let's go to Acts 20. You don't think that the prophets and the apostles had anything in common? Oh, absolutely. 
they all believe the same. It was kind of harder even for a prophet, I think, than an apostle because a prophet didn't have the spirit. Mm -hmm. they, they spoke what God told them to speak, but in many cases, they didn't have the Holy Ghost. They were just like, you know, God's mouthpiece. But they had no real power of their own unless you talk about the power prophets mm -hmm. like Moses and Elijah. You dare not put your hands on Elijah. You know, I mean, that was a different ball game altogether. But I'm talking about the other prophets, you know, Jeremiah and them, they were just mouthpieces. Right. All right, so this is Acts 20. Let's look at verse 16. And Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia, for he hasted, if it were possible, for him to be at Jerusalem the day of Pentecost. And from the leaders he sent uh, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. So, you know, notice he went to the elders who were part of the ministry trying to tell them, Hey guys, I got something to tell you concerning what's coming your way. You see, so he goes to the elders and Paul sounds a lot like Jeremiah in some ways, you know, warning the people. Look at verse 19. I think that's where I am. Yeah. Yes. Verse 19. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. Now, from what we read already, how different is Paul's ministry from Jeremiah's ministry? from Moses' ministry, from Ezekiel's ministry. It's the same thing. You know, if you really look at it, he's saying the same stuff. The Jews were after him. All the people were after Jeremiah and others. Mm -hmm. Verse 20, And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. The same thing. Mm -hmm. Verse 21, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance towards God and faith towards our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Now he says, I go bound, okay, in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Jeremiah said, I am like a drunken man, because of the Lord, you know, pursuing him. Paul said earlier, which we read in Philippians, I'm a prisoner unto the Lord. Mm -hmm. So as you can see, these men are not conscious of self. They're being driven by the Lord. Paul says, I held nothing back from you. So where do pastors today get the mindset that I get to preach a cherry gospel to help other people? Where do we get this mindset that that is beneficial to people to preach sweets? There is no gospel in this Bible that preaches that way. Exactly. If there are positives that come out of it, that is after we have already covered the negatives. You get a balanced diet in the word of God. Why? Because true ministry breaks your heart. And you know what these pastors and other teachers are trying to avoid? Having a broken heart. Being rejected. Not being liked. Their flock getting smaller and smaller every week. You see... These are the things that they fear, so they hold back the truth in unrighteousness. Yep. So it says in verse 22, 
Now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me. So the Holy Ghost is telling him, hey man, bonds and afflictions are coming to you. You will be afflicted by the people and you will be thrown in jail. The Holy Ghost is witnessing him and telling him this. Like we know, if we go out there and preach the gospel, we know we're going to soon end up in jail. For speaking against homosexuality, they're already making that a law. We know where we're going. We know what's going to happen concerning us. It might even lead to death. Yep. But that is a part of ministry. And you know what? These false pastors know this too. That's why they'd rather get paid than tell you the truth. So he says, uh, none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. So as you can see, Paul was in ministry. This is why he's not counting his life. He's worried about other people getting saved and what? Finishing his course in God. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching the kingdom of God shall see my face no more. Wherefore I take you the rec uh, to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. So he's saying what Ezekiel would have probably eventually said. Jeremiah, the Lord already warned them, guys, Ezekiel, now I'm going to tell you what you need to tell people. If you leave out one and or but or whatever, <laughs> and you tell people something other than what I told you to, their blood is on your hands. Paul says, hey, I held back nothing. I told you guys the truth. And it's brought tears to my eyes. I had fear on every side. Things came my way. But guess what? I held back nothing. Mm -hmm. There's no blood on my hands concerning this. You know? So he says, I'm pure from the blood of all men. 27. For I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. Take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost have made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. So we've got to understand to be fully engaged in ministry. It is not about us. It is not about what we can get out of the deal. God, Jesus Christ, purchased this church with his own blood. So it is your responsibility that you tell people the truth. The church doesn't belong to you. You don't get to dress it up and make it rosy. You don't get to present what you want to present. You don't choose off the menu what you want to preach. Right. You be led by the Spirit so that God can, um, his flock can be fed. Verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. So why do we tell people the truth? So they won't be given in to deception. Right. They'll know a false prophet when they see it. And you know, you bring forth the truth to show people, and people hate you for this. Because they're still caught up in that love doctrine. They better learn what love is and what love really means. Mm -hmm. 
Love is to put your life on the line for another, even if it means your own life. Jesus said, no man, greater love have no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. You think Paul had a date to go on after this? You think Paul had other things that he was interested in? Only doing what God told him to do. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with dating. Let the Lord pick your wife, but your wife can't come before the ministry. Verse 30. Also of your own selves shall men arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So this is what you see. You know, they want to teach perverse stuff. And I ain't talking about, see, and Paul calls that filthy. We may call it love gospel. Paul says it's filthy. If the Holy Ghost told you to speak something and you bring something else, that's perverse. If you preach anything other than the gospel, that's perverse. If you speak not according to the law and the, and the prophets, let you be accursed. The Bible says that in Isaiah. Let me, let me finish, make the point. Therefore, watch and remember that by the grace of three, by the space of three years, I cease not to warn everyone night and day with tears. So you don't think it hurt Paul to deliver bad news? He said for three years, day and night, every day. So who are we to just do a little bit of ministry and complain? We've got to be fully in this. And I'm speaking to myself. We've got to be fully in this and dedicated. My only problem is when you receive it from people that are not involved. Because mm -hmm. I'm like, you know what? Go and do it yourself. You're not even involved in ministry, so who are you to tell me what to present or how to do it? Get in it. Now, I would more than likely take it from a Gary Price, from a Henry Groover. And it's not that I'm a respecter of persons, but you go through it from people that have been in it, people that have been involved, That's right. people that have laid their lives in a line so they can tell you where your faults lie. But when you're sitting there listening to somebody that man never even ministered to one person, a block from their house, even next door, nobody knows you're a Christian, man, go somewhere and come again. I mean, for real, like the words of Christ. He was, man, go somewhere and come again. He's absolutely right. You're going to tell me how to do something that you have never done. But even with all of this, you've got to know how to endure. Man, this is what true ministry is about. Paul told them with tears. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. So in other words, it was only about needs. Maybe they clothed Paul. Maybe Paul ended up needing to be fed. He was there for three years. Mm -hmm. But those are the necessities he's talking about. He's not talking about a house to live in. He's not talking about a retirement plan, a 401k. He's not talking about, you know, it would be nice if you guys gave me one of these horses so I can go and present the gospel. Now, I'm sure he probably did. But the point is, is he went after the necessities. Okay? And these people offered it to him. Like Jesus said, a workman is worthy of his meat. But he didn't go begging for money. We need 22000 apiece from every person here that we might build the ministry. No, that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm. You go with what God gives you. 
Verse 35, I have shewed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. That's what ministry is about. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all, that they wept sore, that they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should seek his face no more, and they accompanied him unto the ship. Man, that's what it's about. Giving your life over to Jesus Christ that he may work in you. Now let's go to 1 Peter 3 and 8, and I am done. 1 Peter 3, we're going to begin at verse 8, and I am done. In your spare time, read Galatians 6, where it talks about bearing one, another, one another's burdens. And 1 Peter 5, 1 through 11, when it talks about God resists the proud, and he giveth grace unto the humble. Okay, so that's important that we recognize that. But right now, we're going to go to 1 Peter 3, and let's look at verse 8. And then we should be done. All right, 1 Peter 3. Let's look at verse 8, and he says, Finally, be ye all of one mind, having compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful and courteous. It doesn't mean being pitiful like walking around looking like you were sucking on sour lemons with your mouth poked out. You know, he's talking about being full of pity and being courteous. But notice, this is Peter talking. We just heard Paul. We just heard Jeremiah. We just heard Ezekiel. It's all back to this one mind. What did they preach? The doctrine of Jesus Christ. There was no separate ministry. They didn't preach what they wanted to preach. They preached what they were taught by the Lord, what was written. Man, this is so important because, you know, ministries, they don't get their hearts broken because they want to live. I want my heart broken before the Lord. Why? So that I may continue and endure. Man, humility is a good thing. Jesus humbled himself and was exalted. Verse 9, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrary wise blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. So, you know, you may have a few wise cracks from people within your ministry and other things. The Lord said, don't render evil for evil. Don't render railing for railing. They rail on you, you rail back on them. I'm not saying at times the Spirit won't put people in their place, because He will. God will maintain control over the situation if he sees things that are wrong in the midst. But he's talking about here humility, enduring, forbearing. These are all long-suffering. These are all a part of ministry. Mm -hmm. Verse 10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips that they speak no God. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are all I mean are over the righteous, and his ears are open unto their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Why do you think when God put the fire around the people to consume them, Moses prayed and the fire ceased? 
because Moses was a righteous man before God. Mm -hmm. So we've got to get our houses in order in terms of ministry if we want God to answer blessings and prayers. Yep. Verse 13, And who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that of that which is good? But if but and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. So the same thing he told Ezekiel, you see that? He's telling us, who's going to put their hands on you if I bring you out there? And if you suffer for righteousness' sake, be happy. And don't be afraid of their terror or whatever they can do. Yeah. You've got the living God with you. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So you don't present foolishness and you be meek before the Lord, but you should always be ready to tell people why they should serve the Lord. That's all a part of ministry. Like Paul says, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. He said, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, mm -hmm. but will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, yep. who shall stray them away from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. And see, we're not giving fables. True ministry is going to get at you with the real stuff. That's right. Verse 16, having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you and as evildoers, as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickeneth by his Spirit by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometimes were disobedient, which once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. So what did Noah do? Noah didn't just say, all right, family, let's pack stuff up and let's quietly move out of here. Noah made that ark big enough, and the God God told him to, not just for the animals in Noah, for those who were received. They couldn't find a righteous man. In Sodom and Gomorrah, you had the same story. People who were unrepentant that did not want to come to the truth. And you see, Lot's righteous soul was vexed from day to day being in the midst of that. That's why, man, we got to follow the Lord and do what he says. So only eight souls were saved. The Bible makes clear in 2 Peter chapter 2, Noah was a preacher of righteousness. And imagine being a preacher of righteousness when the Bible says that men's hearts were only evil continually. Yep. You had giants and falling angels running around there, things that they done mixed and spliced, Nephilim everywhere, mm -hmm. and he's preaching righteousness. Man, we got to get some spiritual testosterone to do what we need to do in Christ. Amen. Verse 21, the like figure whereunto even baptism uh, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of the, of the good conscience 
that the answer of a good conscience towards God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, this is another reason why a lot of pastors or people out there in ministry won't preach the true gospel because their consciences are not pure. Mm -hmm. They're involved in the same mess that the people are involved in. So they feel like, well, if I say this, then that's going to make me feel bad. So I need to knock it down a few notches. Uh-uh. We have to be ready of a good conscience toward God. By the resurrection of Jesus Christ, verse 22, who has gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. So if we truly want to walk with God like uh, 1 Corinthians 15 talks about, we've got to understand where he says that if we suffer with Christ, we shall all be raised in glory with Christ. So true ministry breaks your heart because we've got to know what it is to go through in order to get where we want to be in Christ. Man, ministry can be a beautiful thing. Ministry is a beautiful thing, but it's only meant to mature us while others are matured that we all reach the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ that we lack nothing, okay, and, and will pursue and do what God tells us to do. Man, this is all about salvation. This is not about trying to make people feel bad, but true ministry breaks your heart. So I just want to tell people out there, hey, I love you. Stay strong in the faith. If you're a pastor, minister, looking for funds, trying to help make things happen, then be it done unto you if your heart is right. Let God give you what you need. But always be faithful to the call. Always tell the truth. Always be led by the Spirit. And always be an obedient son or daughter unto the Lord. Why? Because God means for us to have a heart that is after his. Okay, so I just want to say I love you guys out there, and that's the message for tonight. I think Sarah's going to present present something, and then we'll close from there. All right, let's go to Zechariah 8 and 1. All right, Zechariah 8 and 1. And again, the word of the Lord of hosts came unto me, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I was jealous for Zion with great jealousy, and I was jealous for her with great fury. Thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Zion, and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and Jerusalem shall be called a city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts the holy mountain. So as we were talking about earlier that, you know, when the Lord calls a person um, and that person, because I know I did this, I ran from the Lord for many years and didn't want to give my life to him, but I know this for surety. And I've seen this in other people's life. I see this in my younger nephew's life, that it's like when the Lord wants something done in a person's life, he's going to do everything that that will be done. And it's like, it, it, it comes down to where it's really like a fork in the road. And it, it, you are given that decision, like, you're either going to serve me now, or you're going to go the other direction. And to be honest with you, I don't know where my life would have ended up. I probably would have been dead had I not chosen to do the Lord's will. But it's like, when he plans out a life for us, like he's saying here, Jerusalem, you know, uh, 
will be the Lord's city again. He's saying, this city, Israel, and everything that they've done wrong, it's like, you're going to be a city of truth. <laughs> you're going to be my people. <laughs> Verse 4, thus saith the Lord of hosts, there shall, yet, uh, there shall yet old men and old women dwell in the streets of Jerusalem, and every man with his stuff in his hand, with his staff, thank you, in his hand for very age. And the streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets thereof. So we've talked about this before, how... Um, in this day and age, there's a generational gap. And there is, we have people that believe in the Word of God from back in the old days, you know, where you had that grandmother saying that accuse the devil for everything and put him in his proper place, you know. And today, that's just not happening. And so there's a huge generational gap between what we know, what you and I know, and these kids today, they don't, they don't have that uh, the gospel being preached to them in the right sense anymore. Mm -hmm. And here what this is saying is that you're going to have the old people coming back that truly believed in the Lord, that truly said, hey, you know what? We're going to follow the scriptures. We're going to follow the Bible. And you're going to have those children again that are actually going to be there, that are going to be in the midst, you know, that uh, are going to hunger and thirst for Jesus Christ again. Because today's youth... They're not being exposed to that anymore. They're, what they're being exposed to is uh, homosexuality, um, uh, all the craziness, pornography, uh, you know, violence in schools, shootings in school, because God's not in this nation. He was really never in this nation, but he was taken out. Right. Verse 6, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it be marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of this people in these days, should it also be marvelous in mine eyes, saith the Lord of hosts. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. It is so important that we understand that if we are to be the people of God, it has to be done in all truth and in righteousness. We can't bring in the old baggage, the old man, the old ways, the old self. That's what we've been talking about today. All that stuff's got to go. Verse 9, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Let your hands be strong. Ye that hear in these days these words by the mouth of the prophets, which were in the days that the foundation of the house of the Lord of hosts was laid, that the temple might be built. For therefore these days there was no hire for man, nor hire for beast, neither was there any peace to him that went out or came in because of the affliction. For I sent all men, every one against his neighbor. But now I will not be unto the residue of this people as in the for, former days, saith the Lord of hosts, for the seed shall be prosperous, the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase, and the heaven shall give their due, and I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. So, if we are counted worthy to be a part of the remnant, if we are counted worthy to be a part of the Lord's army, if he finds us worthy, then he's going to pour out his spirit upon us. 
He's going to give us joy and he's going to give us peace. Now, I don't think this possess in our days means that we're going to be able to like have, you know, he wants us to have physical possessions, but we're going to be able to lay hold on the Holy Spirit for his remnant. So that way we can go out, we can tell people about what's to come because the day of the Lord is upon us. And so I believe that that's what that is about is not just about having a big house or fancy cars or a lot of money. But it is about doing, it's having that relationship with the Lord, which is such, that's such a greater possession in having the Holy Spirit than anything that this world can give us. And so we can be sanctified. We can have that anguish within us to just, to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all that will listen. So that's what I have. Awesome. Well, I guess we can pray out from here. So hopefully this message gets through to people because I didn't do it to defend me or anything else. You know, it was more about letting people know what true ministry is all about because you got a lot of egos out there. You got a lot of personalities. You got a lot of people that are interested in their claim to fame. But the thing is, is the way to God's kingdom and ministry is down and you definitely many days will suffer a broken heart if you love God and you love people. You know, that's really what it's about because it's going to lead you into the depths of knowing what it is to go without, knowing what it is to be expendable to God that other people might be saved and be reached. Mm -hmm. All right, so let's pray out. Heavenly Father, I want to come to you this day in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord. And I want to thank you for all and everything that you have done for us, Lord. I want to thank you for this time. Lord, I want to thank you for your grace. I want to thank you for your love and your mercy. Thank you, Jesus. I want to thank you for pouring out the Holy Ghost upon us in the spirit and in truth and in all righteousness. Because, Lord, that is, that is how we have to live before you. Yes, Lord. Lord, you are trying to set us free. You're trying to set our minds free that we can live in the spirit. Because the day and age that we live in, there are so many false religions out there, Lord, that tell people that they can be a God. Yes, Lord. But these are old religions, Lord. These go back all the way back to the beginning of time. And Satan is just working harder and harder and harder to deceive the masses. And if we have the ability to see, and if we can have ears to hear, Lord, we know that there is a calling going out, Lord, a great calling going out amongst your people that people will be saved, that we will be sanctified, that we will live holy before you, Lord Jesus Christ, in the midst of present-day persecution, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. Your words being mocked, Lord, as you're being mocked. So I know that these prophecies, as your word says, are coming true. And it's just getting greater, and it's getting heavier, and it's getting closer to the end of the times of freedom, Lord Jesus Christ. But that is why we must have on the full armor of God. That is why our faith must be tested now to know where we stand with you, Lord Jesus Christ, so we can continue to get built up in you. Because when the real persecution starts to happen, Lord, we can't have our faith then. We have to have it now, Lord Jesus Christ, so that way we can press forward then. So we can be strong in you then, Lord Jesus Christ, because we're not promised another day on this earth anyways. So, Lord, I pray, if you find us worthy, if you find us worthy to be a part of your remnant, if you find us worthy to be a part of your army, Lord Jesus Christ, then continue to purge us free from this world. 
Continue to take that old man out of us, Lord God. Search the deep places of us where we don't even know that sin lies, Lord, where we don't even know that there's insecurities or unforgiveness within us. Take it out of us, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. Purge this ministry free that it may stand upon your kingdom, Lord God. That our thoughts will be your thoughts. That our will will be your will, Lord Jesus Christ. That you can just take over us fully and completely. Take the world out of us 100% that we are your embodiment, the embodiment of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. You're just doing so much through us, Lord. And we're not grateful enough. We're not thankful enough because if we were, this world would have nothing in us. You came down, you were tempted of the devil, and the devil had nothing in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And you died on the cross for our sins that we may live, but to live in you. We have to die to this world to live in Jesus Christ. So build us up in you, Lord God. Pour out your Holy Ghost upon us. Give us a fresh anointing that we will do your will in all manner of thought, in all manner of conversation, Lord. And continue to build up our armor as we press forward into this spiritual warfare. But set us through that furnace of affliction, Lord, to purge and to burn up the world and the lust thereof. That when we come to the other side, we reflect only you, the image of Jesus Christ. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus Christ, your most holy name I pray. In Jesus name. Amen. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.